If you would, join me back there. Romans 11. And uh, we're going to just review verses 32 down through verse 36 in a moment. But first I want to read them. Uh, The last time we were in Romans, again three weeks ago, we entitled that message, The Confounding Ways of God. And those words were intentionally chosen. Those are my words, not out of the text. The Confounding Ways of God. Where would we get that from? Uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, if you've been with us for the past 15 months, you know this is about as deep a section in the Scripture as there is. And the goal was not just to launch into a deep section of Scripture, but into a book that is so foundational to the Christian life that we need to anchor our faith in. Uh, So if you would join me, verse number 32, and we'll read down to chapter 12, verse 2. Our focus will eventually be on verse number 1. Verse 32. This is God's Word. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Guys, I'm going to tell you that is a mind-blowing passage if you understand what just verse 32 is. I don't understand it. That is not what I would have done. That's not what you would have done, at least the way we think now if we were God. I don't understand that. That makes me have a lot of questions, questions I don't really want to go too far into. I don't want to say they're doubts, but just, really? Verse 32a is confounding. You guys know that God's in charge of everything. He knew everything from the beginning. We're getting ready to see that. Nothing has ever taken him off guard. And the fact of the matter is, verse 32a God has consigned all to disobedience. All of us have sinned. He knew that was going to happen. And we could say some stronger words about that. We might say in a moment. We'll see. But verse B, why did he allow that? uh, Design that. There I said it. Really? What? What did he just say? If you're paying attention, you already have an issue with verse 32a. For God has consigned all to disobedience. Why? that he may have mercy on all. Now, I can't re-preach this whole book, but verse 32b, we need to be clear, and it would take some time to show this. You could listen to previous recordings. That doesn't mean everyone's going to get saved. That what, what Paul is saying there, so that he may have mercy on all those whom he wills to have mercy. Romans chapter 9 brings that out. And he finishes up these three chapters, and really these 11 chapters, with this crescendo of a doxology of praise. And here it comes. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Read it again. Oh, the depth of the riches of God. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. Oh, the depth of the knowledge of God. It's deep. It's depth. What Paul is saying is I can't go down there. I've just been able to write what I've been writing. But we can't go there. Literally, what he's saying is only God goes down there. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's so deep. And then he keeps the thoughts going. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable his ways. And then some rhetorical questions. For who has known the mind of the Lord? You say, well, I know the mind of the Lord. Paul tells the Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. Right. We now have the Spirit in us. If you're a Christian, we have the written Word of God, but that is not exhaustive. What he's asking in verse 34, who's known the full mind of God? The rhetorical answer is, well, no one. Or who has been his counselor, though everyone likes to give God advice, who really has ever given God advice? And he's like, you know what, I hadn't factored that in. Thank you for telling me. I didn't really know that. No one, verse 35. Who has given a gift to him? You say, well, I've given to the Lord. I did just a moment ago in the offering. Hold on. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And if you understand, you say, well, yeah, I just gave back to him what he gave to me. And then, really, this verse 36 kicks off our next section. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Please understand, all things, where'd they come from? From him. Yeah, but right, that's all the good things. Hold on. From him and through him and to him are all things. 
Why? To Him be glory forever. Amen. And then Paul starts a new section by saying, I appeal to you. So where the law demands, grace makes a strong appeal. I appeal to you, therefore. You could say, therefore, because of the end of verse of chapter 11, verse 36, verse 32, 33 to verse 36. But really, chapters 9, 10, and 11, but really chapters 1 through 11, I appeal to you. So Christians this morning, hear this. This is a message for Christians today. I appeal to you. Paul saying, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, which means brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Here it comes. Here's the message. We're about to read it. By the mercies of God. Underwritten by the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God that we've seen in chapters 1 through 11. Here's the message. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, to present your bodies. Present your body. Present your bodies. Present what? Your bodies. Present as a living sacrifice. Holy. Holy. And acceptable. The kind of living sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. Holy sacrifice, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The next week's verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Continuously be being transformed. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. All the time, renewing, re- getting recentered. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to review very quickly, or at least as quickly as I can, the message from a few weeks ago on the confounding ways of God. We noted three things. Again, number one, we noted that God is very different than man. God is very different than us. And we looked at four ways. Number one, God is different from us in his knowledge. God literally knows everything. No one in here knows, well, I do think I just thought of an exception. If you're completely bald, you do know the answer to this. Most of us do not know how many hairs are on our head. But even those of you that shave your head, you have hair follicles. I don't have time to go into that. God knows the number of hairs on every head in here and every person who's alive today, every person who ever has lived, every will live. God knows every blade of grass, every grain of sand, literally every particle. How much do you know? You're like, I know nothing. When I think about all, if, if a fact can be known, God knows it. But he doesn't stop there. God is different than us in his wisdom. His wisdom is literally his knowledge applied to life in skill in action. I'm going to say it this way. God always does what he does the best way it can be done. He does what he does with excellence. Always the best it can be done. And you're probably thinking, I can think of a few things that could be done better. God's ways are ways of wisdom rooted in knowledge. God is different than us in his judgments. You say, what is this? Verse number uh, 33 in the middle. How unsearchable are his judgments. Paul is literally saying, you're you're not going to get it. His judgments are unsearchable. We looked at that a few weeks ago and we noted. These judgments are his thoughts, his purposes even. Let this sink in. God is different from us in his purposes, what he has set out to accomplish. Go with me if you would. You got your spot there in chapter 12, 11. Go back, if you would, chapter 8. If you want to flip in your Bible, we're going to hit just a couple of passages here because we're going to see God's ways. God is different than man in his judgments, in his purposes. Uh, It won't be on the screen, but I'm going to start with the last two or three words of verse 28. And we know that that verse said, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I think Romans 8, 29 is one of the places where we see, What is God up to? What's this all about? Verse 29. Here's his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. There's a destination that's been predetermined. They will get there. Who? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What's going to happen? To be conformed to the image of of his son. I'm going to say that's the secondary purpose of God. You say, what's the primary purpose of God? The last part of the verse. Those whom he foreknew, and he's predestined to be conformed, they're going to be like Christ 
in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's the purpose of God. There was just God, and God in eternity past decided my purpose, my judgments, my thoughts are, we're going to do this thing called a creation, and it's going to be for this purpose that you, son, will be the firstborn among many brethren, and they're going to be made like you. Flip over to chapter 9, if you want to look at verse number 21. We see a glimpse of God's purposes, His judgments. Very different than ours, very different thought. We, we actually look at this passage and we think God's unfair, but here's what He says, verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay? Has the potter no right over the clay? And you hear that and you'll say, yeah, a potter can do what he wants with the clay. Right, in this scenario, God is the potter, we're the clay. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, you say, what's these judgments, purposes, thoughts of God? What if, and that doesn't mean like just considering, I wonder what if, no, this means sense. This is what God is up to. What if God desiring to show his wrath? So eternity passed, God determined, I will show my wrath against sin. To show your wrath against sin, sin has to come into play. You say, Jeff, this makes no sense. I know, it's unsearchable. That's the point. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory there's another part of his plan for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles So these are the purposes, the designs, the thoughts, the plans of God. They're unsearchable. And then we have these, his ways. Again, this is review. What is these ways back in chapter 11, verse 33? How unsearchable are his judgments and his, his, and his, how inscrutable his ways. These ways are God's methods to accomplish his purposes. This is how he will accomplish the purposes. And I'm going to tell you out of those four words, God's knowledge, God's wisdom, God's judgments, very different than us, but I think it's his ways that are the most confounding because that's the one we look at, Lord, how, God, how you do things, that's how I would not do it. I can get that you know all of that and you have all this wisdom, skill in action. Okay, this is your things you're wanting to accomplish, I understand. But the way you go about accomplishing those, that's just not right. Yeah, it's inscrutable. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. But I want to offer to you this. If you wait to understand the judgments and ways of God before you believe them, let me say that again. If you wait to understand, I just don't, I, I just can't, that just doesn't seem right. If you wait to understand them before you'll believe them, then you're going to miss out on a lot of what the Scripture says. These things will not make sense to you. The Trinity makes no sense. There's one God, but He's eternally existing, manifesting Himself in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son is distinct from the Father. The Spirit is distinct from the Son and the Father. She said that there's really three gods. No, there's one God, and I know the math doesn't add up. But that's fact. We will not understand the eternality of God. That makes no sense. We will not understand the, in, the infiniteness of God. You're like, no, that can't be infinite there's I know he's bigger than we think but eventually there's an end no and if you wait I I have to understand that before I believe it well then you're going to leave out a lot of what the scripture says you'll not understand the dual nature of Jesus Christ fully man fully God you say you can't be fully two things Jesus is you'll never understand this one his prerogative his free prerogative over us as the clay to do what he wants And then the big one I struggle with. I'm just telling you, I struggle with this. You're not going to like how I word it. If we wait to understand before we believe the Scripture, then we're going to really struggle with this. How God's plan designed and allowed for sin. But somehow, He is still separate from sin. I've thought this through. This has bothered me for a long time. Lord, I know you're completely in control. You know all things. You knew exactly what was going to happen before you ever did it. Why? I know you are separate from sin, but it sure looks like 
you're okay with it, but I know your nature hates sin. But you, all things came from, what are you doing? This, yeah, it's inscrutable. You can't understand it. it. It'll blow your mind. And so don't think God is a sinner or he's okay with sin. He's not, but yeah, he did design a plan that allowed for sin. Another one that blows my mind is, Lord, why would you put into place a plan that you know causes your eternal son to become a human being for the rest of eternity so that he could die on a cross for people who don't even appreciate him? Why? How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We saw out of verse 34 and 35, look at that again. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor who has given him a gift that he might be repaid. Oh, the depth of the riches. We saw that God is different, not only different than man, God is independent of man. God literally doesn't need anything from us. He, I, I, I'm having a lack. I have a void. So I'm going to make this creation. No, that's not why he made us. God needs nothing from us. If he wants anything, he just makes it from nothing. God can do that. But then verse 36, we learn this. Man is totally dependent on God. Look at verse 36 again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So I'm going to read a paragraph I finished with three weeks ago. We go out from God. We exist through God. We will return to God. All for his glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Where did that thing come from? From God. What's keeping that going? God. What's all things headed to? to? Back to God. All things. So here I'm going to go ahead and say this part too. All things means all things. It literally means every man. You're like, yeah, the good ones, right? All of us. Every man. Every angel. Every demon. Not how he made them originally. I know that. They fell. Satan himself. All things. Every animal. Every bird. Every fish. Every insect. Every plant. I'm talking about all the ones that no human being will ever see. Then why even were they made? Uh, it's a little bigger than us. It's a little bigger than us. Every particle was created by God to fulfill his specific purpose. And so here's the conclusion of this intro. Nothing is happening that God did not plan would happen and that he cannot stop at any moment, any moment. And that confounds me because I'm like, God, if I were you, I would put a stop to some things. But I'll challenge you. Notice how we would stop everybody else's bad things, but we'd be really gracious and merciful for our things. I would shut them down, but I'm really glad you didn't shut me down. That's how we operate. And so the point of Romans 9, 10, 11 is this. I'll say it again. Everything's right on schedule fulfilling God's great purposes, His judgments. Everything's on schedule. And His ways, rooted in His wisdom, are the best ways to bring those things about, those stated goals that are still on the screen. But what God's doing, that's the best way to do it. It's how it's supposed to be done. Paul offers this at the end of chapter 11, knowing we will choke on that, we're going to struggle with that. Jeff doesn't like, like that. He disagrees with some of that. But the Bible must win the day. And so we submit. And with that in mind, would you look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Number one this morning, would you notice with me a specific call to action? A very specific call to action. I appeal to you, therefore. If you've been with us for the last 15 months or 6 months or 3 months, whatever it may be, for 15 months we have been shaping our, think, our thinking by the doctrine of the Word of God. And you know what? I'm, I've, I've learned this. I've talked with several of you and you've let me know. And some of you, you could honestly say this, Jeff, I literally think very differently today than I did 15 months ago because of the book of Romans. It literally has affected my thinking. And I say to that, praise the Lord, it's affected my thinking too. But here's the question for today. Is it affecting our living? You say, well, I think very differently. 
Do you live differently? And furthermore, will you live differently in light of what we've learned in chapters 1 through 11? Why do I ask this? Because theology must go somewhere. Theology must lead to something. Theology must become action. I like good preaching. What I don't like is someone to pull a verse that has action steps and just start thundering at me about what to do and they've never told me why to do it or to let me know that they've actually got the real meaning of this supposed action step. Well, guys, we've been at it for 15 months hitting theology and doctrine, theology and doctrine, and now we've hit a point, what are we going to do with all of this? We've got to go somewhere because teaching precedes preaching, which we're going to start doing more of in the coming months, because doctrine should affect our doing and our belief system, if it's proper, should affect and lead to proper behavior. Note that. Teaching leads to preaching. It's first, preaching second. Preaching goes for the verdict. Here, what's the response? What are you going to do? Doctrine leads to doing. Belief. We've got it. Hopefully we've got some things right about our belief. Now what are we going to do with it? How will it affect our behavior? In fact, I'll say it this way. If you really, really, really believe and understand, not fully, but somewhat, you understand chapters 1 through 11. You're like, Jeff, I've been tracking with you. You will obey chapter 12, verse 1. You will obey it. And I'm going to go further. You say, what would it look like? It will look like chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15. Verse 1 today is a launching pad headed into the next four or five chapters if we include chapter 16. But it starts with today. If you've really bought in, you're like, I don't understand it all, but I kind of, it's been affecting and I'm kind of, I'm buying in, I'm letting the Word of God say what it says. You will obey verse 1 and it will look like chapters 12, 13, 14, 15. It'll look like that. That's what's going to happen. Would you flip back again? I know I had you there a while ago. You have three references. Let's hit those quickly. And and you're starting to read that um, little quote on your handout from Richard Halverson, i got to tell you. I was reading his commentary, and as I got to that, I started thinking, why is he going back there? We're through with chapter 11, uh, 19 and 11. But it actually was very transitional and accurate, and I want to hit it. Chapter 8, verse 29 again. Watch this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Catch that. You say, I'm a Christian. Then you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Flip over, if you would, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4. We've hit these verses in chapters 9 and 11. Watch verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. Literally, there was nothing made. God already had chosen us. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him made in the image of his son we're going to have Christ likeness verse number 4 here in Ephesians that we should be holy and blameless flip the page Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10 for we are his workmanship created why in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and so Halverson makes the following conclusion election so I don't even know what that means okay Just keep moving, all right? You've been with us. You're like, okay, yeah, we talked about those things. Here's where we need to go through this morning in transition. Election is not unto privilege, but unto responsibility. We are not predestined unto a status, but unto service. We are not saved just to be made safe. I'm safe. Praise the Lord, I'm saved. And we just kind of celebrate that. Maybe fire verses back and forth with people who have maybe a little different version on some of the things that we've talked about. And we just spend the rest of our life hashing over and over theology. Wrong answer. We are not saved just to be made saved. We are saved in order to serve. And then he concludes, any Christianity which is preoccupied with its own personal safety is an aberration of legitimate and authentic Christianity. If that's all you want to do, like, I just kind of want to just keep rehashing and debating this theology of these chapters. No, it's got to go somewhere. So we see in chapter 12, verse 1, a specific call to action. What is it? Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what's happening here? What does this present your bodies? I want to make two quick points. Number one. Ready? Number one. The body means the body. That's not very deep. You're like, yeah, that's kind of obvious. It says right there, by the mercy of God, present your bodies. But I, th- I think I almost need to make this clear. Just for a moment. The body, in verse 1, means the body. So let me say it this way. God is working. God is working. You say, I just sometimes I wonder if God's work. God is always working, and He desires to use your body in His work. What that means is God now cares about your body, particularly your body if you're a Christian. It matters. Your body, you're like, yeah, kind of the idea of me. Your body, your specific body, that one you're sitting there in right now listening to me. Those ears listening to me. Those eyes watching me. Right? Those hands that you're using to write things down. That body God cares about and he wants to use it in his service. Again, I'm going to hit something quickly. Go back to chapter 8, verse number 11. Because I'm going to make a... Here's the statement, all right? Your body is going to be the last part of you that is saved. If you're a Christian, you say, I've put my faith and trust in Christ. Your soul and your spirit is already saved. Your body will die And then in the future, not immediately after death, your soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. You will still be without a body, but eventually that body, even it will be saved. So much so that I'm going to, it would take too long, but every person, every human being in eternity, whether in heaven or in hell, has a body. Every person has a body. Verse number 11 of chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you're like, that's me, I'm a Christian. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You'll be resurrected. Saw that last week. Verse 23. And not only the creation, the creation we live in, boy, it's groaning, it's under a curse. We ourselves, Paul says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting and longing for the day. I just, I'll be glad when the knee doesn't hurt and the tooth doesn't hurt and the, and the back doesn't hurt and you don't get migraines anymore and nothing and the, the, the eyes don't fade anymore and no more wrinkles and no more coloring those, not that you do, but coloring those gray hairs. Just all of that. I'll be so glad when you get it. And a body that doesn't sin anymore. That's right. We're under a curse. The day's coming. It's the last part of us that'll be saved. The body means the body. Your body has tremendous potential to do wonderful, godly things. If you're a Christian, your body will be used through eternity serving God, but it can be used now. Now, we live in a world, and it kind of changes, they tell us, by maybe your genetics, but particularly by the environment you're put in. And what this world subtly tells us is attractive because it kind of changes from culture to culture around the world. But we live in a world in 2018 in America and Southeast United States, down here in South Carolina, where the world tells us certain kinds of bodies, those are the good ones and those are the attractive ones, right? God says, I use all kinds of bodies. I will use your body. I want to use your body. Join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you cannot preach Romans 12.1 without hitting these two verses in 1 Corinthians. The body means the body. Before we look at the two verses there, the context is this. And I know I'm going to sound like an old-fashioned, outdated preacher, but Paul is preaching to the Corinthians who had severe struggles with sexual sins. This is a Greek city. Corinth is a Greek city. And they were kind of taught that what you do in the body really doesn't matter as long as your spirit's right. And they would, they would let that influence in the sexual arena. The Corinthian church had a lot of sexual misconduct. And so Paul addresses that in verse 19. We need to hear it today because we have a lot of sexual misconduct in South Carolina, 2018. We have it in our churches all around Anderson County. Anderson County is full of people right now who are struggling with sexual sins. Almost as if it doesn't really matter what I do in my body because I want to get it right that night before I come to church. And really, as long as my soul and spirit, and they just live life like everything's okay. But chapter 6, verse 19, Paul tells the Corinthians, Or do you not know 
that your body, talking to Christians, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So I'll make some deductions there. God says your body is His to do, if you're a Christian, your body is His to do with as He pleases. It is not a playground for you to do with as you please. Your body is not a playground for you. Someone else's body is not a playground for you. Somebody needs to hear this today. That means it affects what you put in your body. It affects what you put on your body. It affects what you do with your body and what you advise other people to do and and put on and put in their body. It matters. God cares about the body. It's his temple. It's not just the temple complex or the temple courtyard or the temple proper. It's literally the holiest of holy places where God should kind of glory dwelt in there. Priests don't go in there and goof off and just mess around in there. They're very careful about what they do in the holy place because that's where God's presence is. Your body, Christian, matters. You don't get to do what you want. So here's what I learned. Again, it sounds outdated. But the truth is, you will give an account of what you do with your body. So write these things down. What that means is your diet. That's convicting to me. Why did I put that in the notes? These are my notes. Why not? Ah. But these are the facts. Our diet, our exercise. I hate exercising. Used to love playing games. Put a ball in it. I'm good. I'll go for hours. Not anymore, but back then. Go for hours. It's never been the disciplined person that just like, boy, I just love going out and exercising. And some of you are there. Praise the Lord. Give me some of what you got. Our rest matters. Our rest matters. Our hygiene matters. We don't worship the body, but we live in the body knowing it's God's possession. Our appearance matters. I'm not going to stand up here and give you a bunch of Jeff's ideas and a bunch of legalism about what is the proper and right appearance. It's not my place. I don't have that right to do that. When we come across something in the Scripture that defines that, then we'll, we'll hit that. But you need to know, literally, when you're making your decisions, can I put this in my body? Should I put this on my body, temporarily or permanently? Check the scriptures before you just launch out. I think it's okay. Be careful, young people. Well, so-and-so, and and they're all doing it, and they think it's fine. Be careful. It's not your body. It's not a playground. What it means is, if you want to write out to the side, I should have put it in the notes. Your actions matter. Be careful. It's the holy of holies. So what does the body mean? Well, this sounds kind of deep. Present your bodies. I wonder what that means. Body means the body, number one. And number two, the body represents the entire life. The body represents the entire life. Verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Hey, guys, think with me. Paul's using an Old Testament picture. You're, you're a priest. You there? You are a priest. And you're offering these sacrifices. The only difference is you're not offering animal sacrifices on a grate, a bronze, brazen grate with fire under it. And we're offering that like the temple constantly had the smell of ribeye and sirloin and roast. That's just literally what it was. It wasn't a bad like, and who eats that? Well, the priest, dude, that, the priest kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yes, bring it on in here. And they're cutting these things up and they're burning them on sacrifice. What Paul is calling for is if you're a Christian, you see yourself as a priest. The only thing is you're not offering dead animal sacrifices that are like a moment of time. There, I killed it and I'm offering it. No, that's you. You're on the altar. Living. Not dying in a moment. Living alive, sacrificed to Christ. The Old Testament. The father of our faith is a man named Abraham and God calls Abraham. Abraham, I want you to offer to me kill and offer to me your son your only son literally not his only son he had an older son Ishmael but this was his only son of the promise I want you to offer to me Isaac you know what Abraham did Abraham got the knife and he got the supplies and he told Isaac we're going up and he's going up to a specific mountain and Isaac 
apparently knows exactly what's going on and he submits to it because one he's submissive to his dad and his his dad's God has told him to do this off they go he literally ties him up builds an altar puts him on the altar has the firewood ready he is ready to kill him and God stops him why Abraham never has to finalize offering Isaac because his actions revealed that God already had first place and that Abraham would give God everything he asked for. If you'll give me Isaac, who you love more than your own life, more than anyone, then you'll give me anything. I have a question for you. I know you're writing that note, but write it with listening. Abraham gave everything. Is there one part of your life this morning that you're like, I'll give God that and that and that, but I'm holding back this? The life, the body, is the body. But in my heart of hearts, I honestly, I hope I'm not damaging the passage. I really believe the the body also represents the entire life. It's an attitude of this. Have you ever done this? God, in light of who you are, number one, and in light of what you've done for me, I, listen, I will die for you. But you apparently are not calling me to die for you at this moment. And so I will live for you continuously. Now, let's just be honest, because God already knows this. This is smart to do. God, I have desires. I'm just telling you, I have desires. But I will forfeit those desires for you because of who you are and because of what you've done for me. Number two, the biblical reasons. I'll go ahead and warn you. And if you need to check out for the next few months, then feel sorry for you. Say, what's coming? Paul's about to launch into five chapters of a life of service. You're like, I like lives of service when people are serving me. I want to be served. You're not going to like the next few months. But before he launches in this, he bases it all in something. Based off chapters 1 through 11, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, That's what it's all rooted in. Because of the mercies of God, I'm going to be calling for the whole life represented by your body, and here's what it's going to look like in the days and weeks ahead and in these next four or five passages. Think with me this morning. What if you understood God has this big plan, and there's these vessels of honor and these vessels of dishonor, and God's going to show His wrath, and God's going to show His glory and His mercy, and I don't know why, nothing because of me, but God let me be put in this side over here where I will receive His mercy and His grace forever. What if you wanted to say, God, I want to thank you for doing that? Jeff, what would you tell me to do? I'd tell you to do two things. Number one, I would tell you, say thank you for doing that. Okay, Thank you. God hates it when we're unthankful. Second thing, here it is. Offer your life, your body as a living sacrifice to God because you're thankful that He's put you as part of the grace plan. Say, Jeff, why? Two reasons are very clear in the text. Look back at verse 36. We see, number one, it is wise. Verse 36 of the previous passage. For from him, you came from him. Everything, everything came from him. Through him, literally right now, he's keeping it all together. At any moment, he could cause it all to go away. But right now, you exist through him. And here it comes. And to him are all things. It is wise, Christian, hear me, you're going to go back to God, you're going to give an account. It is wise to give your life to Christ. But secondly, as in chapter 12, verse 1, it's reasonable. It is reasonable. Look at the end of verse 1. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's your spiritual worship. I grew up memorizing the King James Version. This is one of those times where it's very beneficial for us to see both of these. They wouldn't have room to spell all of that out. It would not be possible. But literally, both of the passages are correct. This is not incorrect, and the King James is not incorrect. Certainly, it's not incorrect. So what's going on here? Paul says, if you give your body a living sacrifice, it is reasonable. It's reasonable service, and it's your spiritual worship. Both of those things are in in this word that's used here. Like one word, it's your spirit. If you do this with your life, it's your spiritual worship. It's your reasonable service. It is reasonable. William Barclay says the following. This reasonable, rational service, hear this, this is important, does not denote slavery. It is not slavery. What this is calling for is voluntary work. Huge difference, did you catch it? Not slavery. Grace view. 
This is calling for voluntary work. So that leads me to two quick conclusions. Number one. Conclusion number one. Serving God with your body. And by that I mean actions. Actions at church. Actions at home. Actions at work. In the plant. Behind the wheel. On the route. In the class. Down at the office. At play. What if you live your whole life for the glory of God? Knowing that he lets you have hobbies and moments of joy. And those are wonderful things. But he also has work for you. And he also has family. All of these areas. What if your whole approach is, Lord, I'm living my whole life for your glory. I'm just a living sacrifice. Write it down. Serving God with your body is an act of true worship. It's true worship. Now, maybe not. But I dare say someone's listening to this. And here's your thought. Hold on. Jeff, worship is what we do for those 17 minutes before you preach. Right? That's, that, that's what that is. And I say to that, it can be. Can I say something? And I don't say this mean. I don't want to pour water on anybody. There's zeal. I, say, I won't say this lovingly, but firmly. Singing songs emotionally at church apart from a life given in practical service to God is a fake worship. Say it again. Singing songs emotionally at church apart from a life given in practical service to God is a fake worship. You're fooling yourself and you know it. You live for yourself all those hours of the week except for 20 minutes and you work it up, you're just being worked up by music. I don't not want to squelch it. I want us to have freedom to worship. I want to have freedom to worship. But if I just put on the dog for a few minutes, but the rest of the week I don't serve God with my life, you're faking it. You're only fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. You might be fooling some of other, others of us, but God knows the truth. The second conclusion is this. Here it comes. We should offer our lives voluntarily catch that this isn't slavery it's this lord watch i'm not going to wait on you to ask me i'm going to offer my life have you ever done that i want to offer you my life with that in mind i'll make a statement and i want to speak very quickly to three or four groups of people here's the statement never think it's too early or too late or that you're too busy. Never think it's too early. It's too late. Or I'm too busy. I want to take, talk briefly to four groups of people that you will tell yourself lies. And if you don't supply the lie, a devil will supply it for you. You ready? Group number one. Young people, I need you to listen. You're like, yeah, man, we went through all that theology and it was just... Whew, there's no seventh grader here today that doesn't understand what I've been preaching. There's nothing complicated about what I've been preaching. Fifth graders understand what I've been preaching. If you're a Christian, God wants you to serve Him with your life. Young people, I want you to listen carefully. Here's lie number one that's told to you. Hey, I understand what it's saying, but I've got my whole life ahead of me to do that. That's the lie. Here's the lie. No, no, Jeff, I understand. Pastor Jeff. I'm just in fifth grade, sixth grade. I'm only middle school. I'm in junior high. I'm just like a freshman. And here's the thought. When I get a little older, like when I get my, my driver's license, I'm like a junior and senior, then I'm going to get serious about serving the Lord. If that's your attitude, be careful. That's a lie. You probably won't. Here's the continuation of the lie. The people who have their driver's license, they're like juniors and seniors in high school. Here's the lie. When I get to college... I'm going to serve the Lord. But right now, I mean, I just got my license. I'm supposed to be having fun right now. Come on. I'll get serious about God. Where I'm going, there's a group of Christians there. I'm going to link up with them. You're buying the lie. And then you get to college. And here's the lie. It's college. These are supposed to be the best years of your life. When I get out of college, do you see where this just keeps on? And, I, and then you get out of college, and here it comes. I just got out of college. Do you know how many years I've been in school? I just need a year to find myself. Just give me six months to find myself. And six months becomes a couple of years, becomes four or five years. And 
You get the theme? Later. Later. Second group is the adults. Here it is. Jeff, this isn't complicated. Listen, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to soak it in. But listen, life's busy right now. We've got the kids. And I think when the kids get a little older and they can kind of take care of themselves, then I'm going to get serious about the things of the Lord. No, you won't. And here's the next verse. When the, when the work gets squared away and I can kind of trust the employees a little bit more, then I'm going to get serious about serving the Lord. You probably won't. And then here's the life of those that are a little bit older. You're kind of coming down the home stretch and you're like eight, nine years away and you literally start thinking this. When I retire, I'm going to have more time and then I'm going to live for the Lord. Translation. God, when I finish squeezing all the best out of life, I'll give you my leftovers. That's what it means. Group three, the older person. I say this as respectfully as I can because I'm commanded to in the Scripture. Here's what your thought is. Maybe you've even had this conversation with your spouse. Jeff, I love this passage. or Maybe exactly this, this passage or one much like it affected my life years ago. And I gave my life to Christ. And I've served. I've served. But now my energy goes quickly. True and true. Two for two. But here's the lie. I've already given, I've already serving, and I'm at a point in life I'm just ready to pass the baton and let the others do it for a while. You need to be careful. I'm going to respectfully ask this question. Here's my question. What age does the Bible define and give as the retirement age for God? Show it to me. When you turn this age, America says when you turn 62 and a half, you get to retire on God. It isn't in there. Can I just lovingly say this? You've already done it all this time. You're closer than you've ever been. Why not re-up? Sid Stewart says, you don't retire, you re-fire. You get, you're like, re-fire. I'm ready to go again. I might have more time. Granted, the energy is lower, so you've kind of got to be selective. But you don't quit. And then there's this fourth group. I I was literally in tears Thursday in my office over this group. I typed it before, but it hit me Thursday. I have a burden for this group. Perhaps you're a Christian who has made sacrifices in your life for Christ. When others waited, you didn't. You jumped in. You went for it. You obeyed. But this world has treated you harshly over the last few years or decade or decades. Let's just call it what it is. Christians have treated you harshly. And as a result of that, you've lost your first love. That's where you sit this morning. You've lost your first love that made you give your life everybody waited you did it Lord you got my whole life I didn't tell the young people earlier I say this as humbly as possible because I've made so many mistakes but you don't have to wait I was 12 when the Lord called me to preach and it wasn't a long it might have been a couple of messages my home pastor my uncle Lewis preached on wasn't a big process it was just real simple you want to be a second mile Christian or are you just going to go one mile? Like, I want to go second mile. Twelve years old, I gave my life to the Lord. That affected where I would go to school. That affected what kind of girls I would date. That affected what I'd put in my body and on my body, what kind of jobs I would take. Again, lots of mistakes, lots of mistakes since. And I'm not the only one in this room that's done that. But you've lost your first love. Now, here's where you're really at. You've evaluated recently and your thought goes to this, that your commitment to Christ has kept you, you, but more than you, you feel like your sacrifices, your commitment to Christ has kept your loved ones from experiencing life's best things. And honestly, it's like, I didn't wait. I went in. They waited, and now they're coming around. 
we're going to end up at the same place. I should have just, and look at all the security, and look at their family, and look at how they're taken care of. And I got all these questions. I don't know how we're going to be. ah. And you've lost your first love. Can I lovingly invite this group reconsider the mercies of God? Reconsider the mercies of God. That cup of coffee, you're like, well, I, I do like my coffee. That's the mercies of God. That Christmas when you don't have a lot, but you got your family and they actually like to be together. That's the mercies of God. Early in the morning or late at night when everybody's going to bed and there's just one little light on, you can barely see but God shows up and starts talking to you. That's the mercies of God. And when you start talking back to God, and He's listening and you know it, that's the mercies of God. Don't forget the mercies of God. Can I remind you, and I know we don't like this one. I don't want you to get mad at me, but I've got to throw it out. Would you please reconsider the true baseline? What's the true baseline, Jeff? Here it is. Anything above judgment is better than we deserve. Anything above judgment is better than we deserve. Could I remind this fourth group? Man, I have a burden for you guys. Could I remind you, if you want to look back to verse 29 of the previous chapter 11. Here it is. Listen to me. God's gifts are irrevocable. I'm from Western North Carolina. I don't say irrevocable. I say irrevocable. Right? Because I'm not educated that way. We don't say that in Weaverville. You say, what's your point, Jeff? God's gifts cannot be called off. They're like dogs on your path. You make it. You make it. God's already determined everything works out for your good. My gifts, you can't stop them. You can't stop them. I have a calling on you. There's a reason you responded years ago. Can I remind you, eternity is a long, long time. And it's closer than you think. This life is your one chance to live by faith. You never get to live by faith again. God loves faith. Can I remind you one more thing? I'm going to hit this third point quick. One more thing. Nothing you sacrifice for the cause of Christ will be regretted when you see Christ. I promise you. When you see Him, nothing here. You'll need to remind me of this in a few days or a few weeks or a few months or a few years. I'm going to need to hear it because I'm going to go down, right? I'm going to get down in the dumps. Everything is a good investment when it's invested in the cause of Christ. You're on firm ground. Stay the course. Don't quit. You did the right thing. And then thirdly, the biblical methods. You guys see the notes. How in the world are we going to offer our lives a holy sacrifice? A sacrifice that's a living sacrifice that's acceptable to God. How do we do this? To see this, we have to go back to Romans 6. Romans 6. I'm going to just read some verses, fly through the points, and have our conclusion this morning. Three key words you'll see. Knowing, considering, presenting. That's why we're going to Romans 6. 12.1 says, present your bodies. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know, there's our word, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Christian, oh, I wish I had more time. You've been united. You're going to see that. How did you get saved? You're united with Christ by faith. I was born in Adam, a sinner, but by faith I get to be united with Christ so that everything he does counts for me. Verse 3 again. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized means placed into, not water. This ain't water baptism. This is spiritual. We've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him. By baptism into death. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He walked out of the grave. We walk with new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6 is key. For we know, we know, knowing is key. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin... You're like, yeah, that's what I feel like I'm in. We were crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is how we can live holy, living 
lives of a living sacrifice acceptable to God. Verse 7, for one who's died, I died in Christ. When he died, it counted as me dying. For one who's died has been set free from sin. If there was a corpse sitting here right now, you could not tempt him with sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him which means it doesn't for us. Verse 10, for he, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here comes our second word. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what's that, how's that affect anything? Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Don't let it rule and reign and have control to make you obey its passions. And then our thought, do not present your members, your members of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves, like the whole self, to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And don't just present yourselves, present your members, members of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. Write this down quickly. Knowing means being informed. Knowing means being informed. It means, as a Christian, I know that when Christ died on the cross, I died on the cross. When Christ was buried in the grave, there really was death. There was no activity. I mean, he was just gone. That was just a dead body. That's me. That's my dead body. But like we celebrated last Sunday morning, wrapped Literally early, I don't know what time on Sunday morning this happened. Jesus' eyes open. There's a cloth right here. And he's bound like this. And he don't wiggle free. He literally lifts out. Peter and John come in. There's the wrapping, still like they were. Jesus did take the time to fold the part around the, the face and put it over. Jesus got up and walked out a brand new kind of life. That's what happened to me. 1979, I got saved. I got up, I left Mount Olive Baptist Church in June of 1979, a whole different person. Verse number 6 says that old body of sin was brought to nothing. It means rendered powerless. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist anymore. This old body still has appetites for sin. And man, the old sin nature still tries to speed dial Jeff with the things that really you know, attract Jeff, his unique sins. Here's the thing. I don't have to answer the old sin nature. It is not my master. Jesus Christ is my master. I know this from the Bible. But verse number 11 says, consider. Consider means being convinced. Not just informed, I'm now convinced of this. It's faith. You say, let me get this straight. When we become a Christian, sin doesn't have to control us anymore. No, sin cannot control you anymore faith is when if you want to write it down faith is when God makes a promise and we just go ahead and live like God's telling the truth can I tell you real quick a little pet peeve of mine and if you're going to one of these I'm not saying it's awful I just have an issue with Christians that go to support groups of addictions and things and they say stuff like this hi my name is Jeff uh, and I'm addicted to alcohol hi Jeff Hi, my name is Jeff, and I'm addicted to pornography, or I'm addicted to narcotics, or I'm addicted to cocaine. Can I tell you something? You're like, yeah, what's wrong with that? If you're a Christian, you are no longer addicted to any sin. You are not addicted to it. You may make the choice, and you can make the choice to give in to its temptations, but you are giving in to a master that is not your boss anymore. You are now alive to God. You're dead to sin. It's going to keep calling, seeing if it can get you to obey, but you don't have to. Unsaved person, they're probably addicted. You're not. Person in here, you think you're addicted to pornography or some substance or something that you drink and I just can't and it just controls me. Either you're not a Christian or as a Christian, you need to be convinced, say it out loud over and over and over till you realize, God, I am who you say I am. What you say is true about me is true. That's not my boss anymore. And you lay it down. You lay it down. There's the power of the Spirit. And then third, as verse 12 and 13, present means being surrendered. Present your bodies. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
The body has appetites. Mine does, yours does. Like what, Jeff? My body wants food, and so does yours. Some of you are like, yeah, if you'll be quiet, we can get some. Some of you, it's not food. You're like, I'll forego food. I was just up late last night, and I need some rest, right? We want rest. You're kind of made to produce. You're like, I just, I just I need to be doing something. Sex. Community. Social life. Different levels. Some of you like big groups. Some of you like small groups. Some of you like one-on-one. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Its is the natural body with its desires, its passions. Sin likes to take your desire for food and say, let's be gluttonous. Sin likes to take your desire for rest and say, let's just be sluggards. And sleep all the time. And stay up real late. And sleep when the world's out doing what it's doing in the productive hours. But we're just, and then we're going to go around all like, oh man, I'm just kind of dying today. And what's going on? Well, I forego, I went by rest. But now I really want some rest. It'll lie to you. Let's abuse normalcy and let's just become sluggards. Sin will take your desire for work and it'll make you a workaholic. Sin will take your desire for sex and say, let's be fornicators or adulterers or homosexuals that's sin you don't have to obey that sin says hey you know that desire for community and and to have a social life well let's talk about people to people let's slander them and gossip that's sin don't let it do that i think your last note is this one Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Literally the wording there means stop doing this. You did that before you were saved. But present, and he breaks it down into two parts. Present yourself and then present the members of your body. If you want to write it down. To present here means to place at one's disposal. Once and for all. Once and for all. Deanna and I got married in 1991. We made vows once and for all. Here's my conclusion. Are you ready? Please don't check out. Here's the conclusion. Very specific, practical questions. Here they come. You ready? Exactly. How is your body being used as a living sacrifice? Like I come to church. No. How is your body being used as a living sacrifice? Second question. Have you ever presented once and for all your body and its parts to the Lord? You're like, yes, Jeff, I've heard this before. That's not what I asked. I didn't say, have you heard this before? I'm asking, literally, when did you do this? I was 12. Have you ever had a time where you're like, I don't know that I've ever done that. What are you waiting on? You're supposed to be offering your life. Well, I don't know that God's ever called me to full-time ministry. That's not what we're talking about here. Have you offered your life, Lord, in light of who you are and what you've done? It's wise and reasonable. Here's my life, and here's my body parts. Have you ever done that? So what would that look like? It'd look like this. God, by your grace, today I'm going to give you my mind to be kept pure and to be used for your glory. God, by your grace, I'm going to give you my mouth to be kept pure and to be used for your glory. God, by your grace, I'm going to give you my eyes to look at what you want me to look at and not to look at what you don't want me to look at. Lord, I'm going to give you my ears. Lord, can you use my ears? Okay. My ears will be kept pure. I'm going to stop listening to those. I'm going to turn that off and I'm going to turn them off. And I'm going to start listening to the things that you want me to, literally verbally, and to your spirit inside of me. My hearing is yours. Lord, my hands, no more doing what I've been wanting to do, and I'm not going to use them for wickedness, evil, and sin, I'm going to start using my hands and my feet for your purpose. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done this the whole life? Lord, here's my possessions. As we saw this morning, here's our child. We love her, but she's yours. Whatever, ours is just to prepare, whatever you call her to do, if it's the other side of the world, she's yours. He's yours. This is yours. That, that vehicle, that's yours. That house, Lord, that's yours. It's all yours. Have you ever done that? Which one of those is the hardest for you this morning? You're like, man, I was with you on that one, that one, that one. Oh, that one, I just... That's the one you need to deal with today. 
Would you bow your heads for a moment? There may be a Christian here and you've offered your life to Christ before. You say, we're not talking about salvation today, right? No. Nope. You've offered your life to the Lord before. Let's be honest, but a specific part of your life, you need to re-offer that part. It may be your eyes. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm intentional and I want to be serious today. I'm aware of the clock, but today's important. Have you offered your life to the Lord, but today you need to specifically offer a part of your life that has been rebellious and has tried to renege. It needs rededicated, re-sanctified. Or maybe there's a person here, you literally, I'll just go ahead and say it again. There's a young person and you've thought later, later, later. But today you need to offer your life to the Lord. And He's spoken to you. There may be an adult, you're caught up in the busyness of home life, you're caught up in the busyness of work life, and in your mind you've honestly thought, I'll be a churchgoer, but I'm just not going to get serious about using my body. Guys, we're going